All right. I guess I'll get started. You guys, man, we have the whole, I have to look way over here and way over here. It's okay. We'll manage. Um, well, welcome to, can you turn me down a tiny bit, Phil? <clears throat> welcome to Fundamentals of the Faith. Um, this whole study is based on John MacArthur's Fundamentals of the Faith, 13 Lessons to Grow in the Grace and Knowledge of Jesus Christ. You guys don't necessarily have to get the book. As you can see, I made um, like packets that are very similar. Um, so that's what we'll be going through. Um, I can just give a brief overview of the lessons really quick. Um, today we're talking about the Bible. Um, just talking about the different books of the Bible, um, how it's reliable, and um, lesson two is how to know the Bible, so like studying the Bible, um, reading it and all that. Lesson three is about God, his character, and attributes. Lesson four is the person of Jesus Christ. Um, number five is the work of Christ, what did he do? Six is salvation, seven is the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit, eight, prayer and the believer, nine, the church, fellowship and worship, ten, spiritual gifts, eleven, evangelism and the believer, twelve, obedience, and then the last lesson is on God's will and guidance. So I'm excited. I've been wanting to do this study for a while. i just seen that our church has had a lot of visitors or people um, new to the faith, um, I know of people who have been saved for a little while, and like they don't necessarily know all the books of the Bible. Um, that's not how you get to heaven, so it's okay. But it is very helpful, and uh, we'll be talking about that today, um, what each book is or whatever, um, where it stands in Scripture. But before I start, I wanted to read... Um, the chapter 1.1 of the London Baptist Confession about the Holy Scriptures, it says, The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. So that's talking about natural revelation. We see creation, and that's, that communicates to us that there is a God, there is a creator. Um, so that's saying these demonstrations are not sufficient to give knowledge of God and his will or the gospel. So therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church, to preserve and propagate the truth better, and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world. The Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. So like the prophets and stuff, there's no more prophets. And so, um, you can look that up if you want to read that. It's very dense. It says a lot. It's um, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, chapter 1.1. 1 .1. And so, let me pray, 
as we jump into this. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to come together and study your word and worship you. Um, Lord, we are so thankful that you have condescended and communicated to us in your word. Lord, I pray that your word would be precious to us and that we would spend our lives studying it so that we can know you more and how to honor you and love you. Um, We are so thankful for our Bibles in our language. There are still many people in this world that don't have Bibles, but Lord, we are so thankful. Um, We are thankful for what you've done for us and um, help us to see that in all that we do in church. Um, Lord, we love you and thank you again for this opportunity to look at the fundamentals of um, the faith. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I hope I printed enough copies of the things. Does anyone not have one? Okay. You guys are really quiet. <laughs> um, so at the, at the top of your papers, you'll see 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, does somebody want to read that? This is going to be an interactive class. You want to read it? Oh, Mike raised his hand half a second faster. Amen. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching. Um, It's profitable for everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Um, A lot of churches will say that they believe that, but as it works itself out, Sometimes they don't actually believe that it is sufficient for everything. They think it's pertainable to like church things, but when they get home and they do these other things, when it pertains to culture and stuff, sometimes the Bible gets pushed aside a little bit. And so here at Crossway, we believe that the Bible is the word of God and it is sufficient and it is inerrant. There's no errors and it is sufficient for everything. And we believe that here at Crossway, Um, And that's what we'll be talking about a little bit this morning. Um, The first section, the Bible is the word of God. It claims to be the truth, um, the message from God to man. 2 Peter 1.21 says that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Um, So the scriptures... There's a couple bullet points under that point. It says, the scriptures were written by approximately 40 different men. Think about this. This is incredible. 40 different men. These men lived in different countries, different cultures. They lived in different eras, different times. And then they wrote in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. But despite these differences, God moved the writers to focus on his glory in man's redemption through one central figure, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So even though there's these different writers, different times, different cultures, it is one unified message. It does not contradict itself, even though some people say it does. They're wrong. They just don't understand what's going on, maybe. Um, Or they want to say it contradicts itself to, like, discredit it. But um, I think I have a quote right here. Uh, let's see. John MacArthur writes, even though the Bible is an ancient document, every person in every situation in every society that's ever existed 
can find in this book things that endure forever. If you sit and think about that, that is amazing. Think about your problems that you're going through, your trials, like everyone of all time who studied the scriptures, whether that's from a rabbi or um, Paul, the apostles, those people, your problems aren't different. The Bible still pertained to them in that different culture, that different time, and to you too here today. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that like a testament of like, oh man, this comes from God. He knows our hearts. He knows, um, like he really is the source of truth. Um, so yeah, that's just amazing. Um, here's a book that never needs another edition. It doesn't need to be edited. It never has to be updated. It's never out of date or obsolete. It speaks to us as pointedly and directly as it ever has to anyone in any century since it is written. It's so pure that it lasts forever. So think about this. The same point, like it's always been relevant in the past. A hundred years from now, if Jesus doesn't return, it's still going to be relevant. We see in Ecclesiastes 1, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything, every problem, every, every um, inclination of man, of way of doing things in government and stuff, nothing is new under the sun. And so the Bible, God's truth, endures forever. It will always be relevant. Um, so that is just awesome. And so uh, this other quote from John Piper it says, these men's writings do not read like the works of gullible, easily deceived, or deceiving men. Their insights into human nature are profound. Their personal commitment is sober and, and carefully stated. Their teachings are, teachings are coherent and do not look like the invention of unstable man. Their moral and spiritual standard is high. And the lives of these men are totally devoted to the truth and to honor God. This book doesn't read like it's written by men. It has like divine. Um, it just feels like there's divine power behind it, divine inspiration behind it. And so um, just off the top of my head, another like really quick um, thing that people say, people always say like, oh, well, the Bible's been translated a like so many different times. Um, it's like the game of telephone. Has anyone ever played that game telephone? Um, do you, you know what it is, teacher? Do you want to tell us what it is, the game of telephone? Right. Like, it's rare that if it's the same message. But that's what people claim that, that that's how the, we got the Bible. And so it has errors. It's been written by man. It's been translated so many different times. But that's not how we get our translations. Um, it's like if, we were, if it, we were using the telephone example game, if it's as if every single person went to that original person and said, hey, what did it say? Or what did you say? And then each person went back to that original person and got it. The way we get our translations, we go to the original languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and that's how we get our translations. So don't, 
it's like laugh, that argument is like laughable. Like, oh, the Bible's been translated so many times. Well, you obviously don't really know what you're talking about. Um, but you can answer them in a gracious, like, a gracious way. Um, and so, the Bible, it is, does anyone know how many books are in the Bible? 66. All right. So, does anyone, can anyone name them all off the top of their head? Yes? You can? We got two. Oh, you sing it? You <laughs> is it, are, you, is, are either of you brave enough to sing it? I know Andy is. <laughs> Old Testament, good. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll stop there. We we believe her. If you if you can recite or sing the minor prophets and stuff, you probably know the the New Testament too. So, that's awesome. Uh, I grew up, I, I went to a, a super small private school where we had to learn the books of the Bible. So I just, I'm blessed to have gone to that school like that and uh, know them. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying I missed one. First and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First John, Second John, Third John, oh, First and Second Peter, Jude and Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> Did not expect to do that, but but we're gonna go over um, the books. So in the Old Testament, the ones that she said, there's 39 books. So of the 66, 39 are the Old Testament. Um, and the first five books of those. Um, are called the Pentateuch. It's on, you see it on your paper. The first five books of the Old Testament were written by Moses around 1400 B.C., before Christ. I think now they call it before Common Era. Lame. <laughs> 1400 B.C., before Christ. Um, and they're often referred to as the five books of Moses or the Pentateuch. Um, and so... On your paper, it says, list the books of the Pentateuch in order. You find them in your Bible, but we can just say them out loud. So what is the first book of the Bible? Genesis. Yes, this is the book of beginnings. Uh, we learn about creation, man, sin. We, uh, we hear of the promised seed uh, that will be the Messiah. And we hear about God's nation, Israel. Second book, we're going through it on Sunday mornings. Exodus, um, and in it, uh, we learn about God delivering his people from Egypt. The third book, Leviticus, tough book. Lots of uh, Bible study, Bible reading through the year plans get stuck here. 
um, in Leviticus. <clears throat> number four is numbers. God's people continually disobey and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So, spoiler alert for Sunday mornings, they do get out of Egypt. Uh, <laughs> and then the fifth book is Deuteronomy, and it's Moses' great discourses to prepare Israel to enter the promised land. And so those are the five books of the Bible, five first books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Um, the next 12 books are history. <clears throat> These historical books were written between 1400 and 450 B.C., and they describe God's dealings with his chosen people, Israel, the Hebrew nation. And so in this book, there's not a little description for each book. It just has you list them here. So can anyone list the, these historical books without singing? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read them for you. Or you can just read them in like your table of contents or something. Um, the historical books are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Historical books. Um, story of Israel. Um, their kings, their judges, their failures, their wanting of a king instead of God. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot we can learn from those books. And then the next five books are poetry. Um, does anyone know the five uh, poetic books? Anyone? I heard Psalms. Psalms is one of them, yeah. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon. Yeah, yeah, good. So these are poetic, describing in poetry and song God's greatness and his dealings with men. And so the first one, you guys said Job. It's about the suffering and loyal trust of a man who loved God. The second one is Psalms, which is songs of praise and instruction. <clears throat> then there's Proverbs, God's practical wisdom for daily life. Then there's my favorite Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes. Um, the emptiness of an earthly life without God. Um, and then last, Song of Solomon, a celebration of marital joy. Then we come to the major prophets, the next five books. Um, and if you don't know, a prophet was a person commissioned by God to deliver his message to men. These books are called major prophets because they generally are longer than the writings of the minor prophets. The major prophets were written approximately between 750 and 550 B.C. And these books are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are the major prophets. And then the next 12 are the minor prophets. And that brings us to the end of the Old Testament. These last 12 books were written approximately between 840 and 400 B.C. I think it's kind of cool that, that like we just have the dates for these things. These are, this is, these are real books. These are, God's word is real. 
This stuff happened in history. Um, and so it's cool to have those little dates there next to them. And these books are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So some, some kids are named after these, these, uh, these prophets. I haven't heard anyone named uh, Habakkuk or anything recently. Um, that's unfortunate. wonder why. <laughs> um, so that's the Old Testament. Um, 39 books, right? 39 books. And so the New Testament, 27 books. And in the New Testament or the New Covenant, it reveals who? Jesus, the Redeemer of men. And in the New Testament, we find the life of Christ, um, the way of salvation, the beginning of Christianity, instruction for Christian living, and God's plan for the future. Um, and so first, the, five, the first five books are history as well. Um, and the first four of those history books are called the Gospels. And the Gospels are, does anyone know? Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right. And so first, Matthew um, is the life of Christ. The Gospels are the, the story of Christ, but they're told a little differently and for different audiences. I don't, I don't know if you guys knew that. And so Matthew was, is about the life of Christ. It's written especially for the Jews. And so in Matthew 1, you see that long genealogy, all those names. It's like, why is this here? It's because the Jews, they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for, for the seed from Eve through the line of David. And so Matthew, right off the bat, just lists this line, and he says, this is him. This is him. And so Matthew was written for the Jews, revealing Jesus Christ as that long-awaited Messiah. Second is the book of Mark, and this is also the life of Christ, revealing Jesus as the obedient servant of God, written especially to the Roman world, the Greeks. And the book of Mark, it's more fast-paced. He doesn't talk about the birth. He just goes straight to, this is the beginning of the good news. He's here, and then it goes right to John the Baptist, and then Jesus is already grown. He gets baptized immediately, and it's just off to the races. Mark, just really quick, um, something he always says is, and immediately, and immediately, like just one thing after another. It's just like, it's like the action Bible, like the action gospel, just quick. Um, so I really like Mark. <laughs> and then the third one is Luke. Um, this is revealing Jesus as a perfect man, emphasizing his humanity, um, written by Luke, a Greek to the Greek world. Um, so that's Luke. And then we have John, uh, which is the life of Christ, revealing Jesus as the Son of God, stressing his deity. And it, this book of John is very evangelistic. So a lot of times when you're, you're meeting someone new who wants to hear about Jesus, a lot of times people point them to the Gospel of John to read because um, it's very evangelistic. So let's look at John's gospel really quick. There are two reasons that are given 
for the writing of John's gospel in John 20, verse 31. So we can look that up really quick. John 20, 31. It says... But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so um, the answers that this book gives is, the first reason is to show that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, um, and then that he's the Son of God. So he is also deity, he's also God. Um, and then number two that believing in his name, sinners can have life. They can have eternal life. And so those are two reasons that John gives for writing his gospel. Um, <clears throat> then the last history book, there's one. It's the history of the early church. Does anyone know what it is? Acts, right. It's good. And it's kind of a continuation of the book of Luke. Um, he wrote both of them, just so you know. Um, so Acts is the beginning and spread of the Christian church. It could be called Acts of the Holy Spirit, and it was written as an evangelistic tool. So that's the book of Acts. And then we have 21 books that are left, oh, except for one. So 21 of the 22 left are letters or epistles. Um, and these books were written to individuals, uh, to churches, or to believers in general. The letters deal with, ver with every aspect of Christian faith and responsibility. And so, <clears throat> these letters, who, does anyone know who wrote most of them? Paul. Paul wrote 13 of them, and then some people argue that he wrote Hebrews. Um, it's kind of our Corinthians, Colossians. It's just so good. But um, I love Colossians. And then there's 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And so these letters, Paul wrote to the Romans in Rome. He wrote to the Corinthians in Corinth. He wrote to the Galatians in Galatia. These are real places with real people. Churches. Um, the Philippians in Philippi. So just... So you can, uh, when you see these books as we go through them and on Sunday mornings or your Bible studies, you can, you can know that what you're reading is like, oh, this is to a church. This is to real people with real problems. And Paul's trying to help them out and point them to Christ. So Paul wrote 13 of those. And then there are eight books that are kind of miscellaneous. So there's that book of Hebrews that some people argue Paul might have written. There's the book of James. Um, Jesus' half-brother, James, wrote that one. There's 1 Peter and 2 Peter. There's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And then there is Jude. So, yeah, some of those are like really small. Jude is like one chapter, um, just other letters. And then last, the last book of the Bible, it's prophecy. Um, and it tells of future events. It talks about the return of Christ. It talks about the reign of Christ and the glory of Christ. 
and the future state of believers and unbelievers. And what is this book called? Revelation. Not Revelations. Revelation 1. Um, just some people say Revelations, but it's Revelation. Um, so those are the books of the Bible. It's a little, that part was a little, um, I don't know, tedious, but it's like, it's super helpful to know that. Um, it's foundational to the Bible. It's, yeah, it's important to know that. And so the next section we have here is Christ in the Bible. The Old and New Testaments should be seen as together. They both portray Jesus Christ as a central figure. Some people say like, oh, like, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's mean. He's angry. It's the same God. It's the same God. Um, I like the New Testament better. Like, that's silly. It's a unified story, um, and it's all centralized on Jesus. Jesus is the central figure. And so, um, can I have one person look up Luke 24, 27? And then can I have another person look up John 5, 39? You, you have Luke? Someone want to look up John 5? All right. Deacon Colin. Deacon Colin, thank you. <laughs> Servant. You have it? So the blank here is all the scriptures. So Christ is seen in all the scriptures. John 5, 39. Yep. So Jesus said the scriptures bear witness of me, of him, Jesus. Now, it's really important to note um, when we say that Christ is seen in all of the scriptures, some people take it to me take that to mean that Jesus is in every single verse um, Jesus is in every single like oh like the 12 stones or the five stones uh, that David picks up to throw at Goliath and his brothers um, like oh these are like the five characteristics of Jesus no they're they're five stones <laughs> um, Jesus isn't in every single word but as, as we see from our little chart here, everything points to Jesus in some way or another. Um, yeah, so that's, Christ is seen in all the scriptures. He's not in every single word. He's not in every single paragraph. But um, he is seen in all the scriptures. And we see here in this little chart, uh, point B, that the key is Jesus. Um, in the law, the five books, promises of Christ, uh, in the history, poetry, and prophecy, we have anticipation of Christ. There's types, experiences, prophecies. Uh, in the Gospels in the New Testament, we have the manifestation of Christ. He's here. Here's what he did. Um, in the book of Acts, the history and, and in the letters, all the letters are the church of Christ, um, instruction to the, to the church, um, instruction. And then lastly, prophecy, we have the coronation of Christ. Uh, I can't hear coronation without thinking of Frozen, because Quinn, our little girl's really been into Frozen. So one day she woke up, it's coronation day. 
So when Jesus come back, comes back, it's coronation day. Um, that, when he returns, uh, the return of Christ, it's for his coronation. Um, so why is the Bible important? Why is the Bible important? When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he alluded to Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Um, we see it in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so um, to this question, what does 2 Timothy 3.16 say about the Bible? I think there's options. I think I put options. Did I put options? Like little bubbles? Okay, I couldn't remember. So 2 Timothy 3.16, what does it say about the Bible? I think we have it on the front. It's on the front page. Yes. So does it mean that some of the Bible is inspired by God? No. Um, that there are a few parts that are not inspired? No. The entire Bible is inspired by God? Yes. Only those parts that speak to us in a personal way are inspired by God? No. The entire Bible is inspired by God. Every word, every jot, every tittle, every, yeah, every word, every letter. The entire Bible is inspired. And we don't need anything extra. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Right off the bat, she is uh, she's saying that she's writing for God. That's adding revelation. We don't need that. If, it's, if there's anything new, it's probably not true. And then if it aligns with Scripture, if it's old, we don't need it because we already have Scripture. So the entire Bible is inspired by God, no errors. It's sufficient for everything. We don't need anything extra. Um, this, this quote here from John MacArthur, um, you probably hear a lot of John MacArthur quotes because this is a book. It says, or he says, the Old Testament is the revelation of God to show man what God is like, who God is, what God tolerates and does not tolerate, and how God desires holiness and punishes sin. The New Testament is God revealed by his son and in the life of his son, in the message of his son, in understanding of the work of his son, and in the culmination and the coming of his son to establish his eternal kingdom. But in either case, Old Testament, New Testament, God spoke. And what we have is indeed the word of God. This is not the word of man. So men were not inspired, but Scripture is. God breathed into them, and they wrote it down word by word. What God breathed into them, is it is more. It was more than dictation. They weren't just listening to some voice and writing mechanically every word. It was flowing through their heart and their soul and their mind and their emotions and their experiences. But it came out, every word, the word of God. As God breathed into them the message and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They said it, and some of them wrote it all down. Miraculous, supernatural, inexplicable process that yields to us the Word of God. And so, the Word of God, it's important. Um, this is word from our Creator, Him revealing Himself to us. And so, how do the following verses show the importance of God's Word? Uh, can I get 
two volunteers really quick. Second Timothy 3.15. Someone want to read that? I can if. Okay. Colin will read Second Timothy. I'll read Hebrews 4.12. Okay. You can read. So <clears throat> the scriptures are able to give wisdom. That leads to salvation. The scriptures can give you the message, the gospel of how to be saved from your sin. Um, and then Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's amazing. What human book is ever described like that? What human book ever, like, cuts you at the soul like the Bible? None. Um, and then, what four things does God's word do? Psalm 19. I'll just look, I'll look it up really quick. Psalm 19. Since we're running out of time. Okay, Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. <clears throat> the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so, what four things does God's word do? It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple gives joy to the heart, and it gives light to the eyes. And so before we go to this little application where you guys can tell me, like, have you learned anything from, from going over these things? I'll just tell you really quick. There's this chart that, goes, that shows, um, like, where every book of the Bible is in Scripture um, in what we went over, history, poetry, prophecy, his, uh, history, letters, prophecy. Um, so you can look at that. And then the very last page, um, I wish we could dive into this more, but how the Bible became ours from the original manuscripts, the original autographs, how did we get our Bible? So this is just a very simple, very uh, rough outline of that. And so in closing, Based on what you've learned about the Bible, what should your response be? Really quick, sorry. I wanted to read something very important. So some of you might have heard of Vodi Bauckham. He has this quote that is so good. I can send it to you if you want. But um, it's just a summary of why we can trust the Bible. He says, I choose to believe the Bible because, because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim to be divine rather than human in origin. That's why I choose to believe the Bible. You can trust the Bible. 
And that doesn't mean don't dive into it. Why we can trust the Bible? Dive into it. It's so encouraging. Um, it does take faith, just like it takes faith to believe that the world and everything came from nothing. I don't, they make fun of us for, like, believing something, quote, unquote, crazy. But I don't know. Everything with so much order coming from nothing. Like, you didn't even have the pieces to make something. But they believe that with faith. And so we can trust the Bible. So, based on what we've talked about this morning, uh, has anything been encouraging? Uh, did you learn anything new? Um, what should our response be? Anyone? Read the Bible? Yeah, totally. Read it. Have confidence in it. Trust it. Anyone else? It's reliable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, totally. You don't want to read um, like judges like it's poetry. It's not like you. Ha it's important when you're studying the Bible to know what you're reading, like what what its purpose is, what it's trying to do, so that you can understand it. Um, all right. Anyone else? And then we'll close in prayer. All right. Believe in it. Yeah, totally. So next week we are talking about. Really quick. Where is it? Uh, next week is how to know the Bible. Um, the how of learning and applying Scripture to life is something every Christian should know. And so this, this lesson next week covers five ways to make the Bible yours. Uh, hear the Word, read the Word, study the Word, memorize the Bible, and uh, meditate on it. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. Um, every lesson's a little different. This is the most, like, fill-in-the-blank one, um, but it's good, like we talked about. Uh, let me close in prayer, and then you guys can be dismissed. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we are so thankful that it is all we need. We don't have to go and search for other scraps of paper in the Middle East or anything crazy like that. Lord, you have preserved your word. Um, it has no errors. We can trust it, and Lord, we are so thankful for that. Lord, help us to um, just have a desire to read our word and study it. We will never reach the end of it um, because we'll never reach the end of you. Lord, we're thankful that we can know you truly, but there's always more to learn. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you just give us that desire to learn more about you and love you more um, when we learn more. Lord, um, we pray for the rest of this morning. Please be with our fellowship. Help us to encourage one another. And make others feel welcome and uh, just love one another. Uh, help us to worship you this morning. Help us to see you and reflect on your death as we remember in communion. Uh, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.